Welcome to the Crossing Church Podcast. This week we continue our Better Together series with a message titled, The Art of Conversation. We hope you enjoy this weekend's message. Well, as always, it's an honor to speak on this stage, and I want to thank our lead pastors, Pastor Greg, Pastor Tamara, for this opportunity and for how they lead this church. Can you show them your appreciation? Pastor Greg, Pastor Tamara, we love you. And I want to encourage you, come back next week, invite a friend, Dr. Mark Rutland. He was the president of Southeastern University. It's my alma mater, and I was a student when he was a president there. And when he was speaking in chapel, you could not get a seat as a student. And it is just a transformational word. So I encourage you, come back next week for Dr. Mark Rutland. And now we're continuing our series called Better Together, how we're built for biblical community and how we need to live life together. And like I said, this is back to church weekend. And so if this is your first time in church or maybe your first time in a while, we're just so glad you're here. Can you give a round of applause for everyone visiting back after a while? So glad you're here. And so as always, we encourage you to take notes during the message. Research actually shows that students at university who take notes, especially handwritten notes, remember more that they are taught. And so if you want to split open a tithing envelope and write in there, it's okay. We're not going to blame you. You could do that. And so as we open today, I want to read two passages of Scripture, compare the two, and jump into the message. And so if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Genesis, the first book of the Bible, chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. This is after the creation account, after God has created the world and everything in it. He's created man and woman, and now enters the serpent character who initiates the fall of man. And so we're going to pick up right there in Genesis chapter 3, starting with verse 1. And it says, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say, You can't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And now you don't have to turn here, but I want to briefly compare that passage talking about how wise and cunning the serpent was and compare it to Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. This is Jesus talking to his disciples as he's about to send them out into the world. He says, look, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd, as cunning as serpents, but as harmless as doves. So with that context on that notepaper or wherever you're taking notes, the title for today's message is this, The Art of Conversation. The Art of Conversation. And let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here at our campuses and with everyone online. God, most of all, I just pray that you speak to us today. Use me in this message, and I pray we hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So can I be transparent with you all just for a moment? Thank you for the two here at the Tampa campus that said yes. I will be transparent. So I don't have allergies to things. I'm, God has blessed me where I'm, I'm good with cats, even though I don't like them. I'm good with all kinds of nuts, peanuts, walnuts. I'm not allergic to things in the air like pollen. I don't have any of those kinds of allergies. But there is one thing that I am seriously allergic to, almost deathly allergic, and that is small talk. I just can't do it. 
If someone comes up and asks, how's the weather today? I just started getting itchy. I can't breathe. I even think Jesus speaks out against small talk. In Matthew 6, 7, he says, don't keep babbling on like pagans. <laughs> All right, so I'm mostly kidding, kind of. But aside from small talk, I do love a deep conversation. I love talking to someone about philosophy or theology or those deep things. I love talking about that. But those kinds of conversations about deep topics are more and more rare. In recent history, I believe because of social media and technology and how it's affected communication, the polarization of culture, everybody's on this side or that side, it has made deep, meaningful conversations very difficult to have. An NBC poll taken just three months ago revealed that 64% of Americans believe social media divides us more than brings us together. And that's up from just two years prior of 57% believe it. So 64% believe social media divides us more than brings us together. On top of that, not only are we polarized as a nation, especially online, Those who are the most geographically close to us are neighbors in our neighborhoods. Only 33% of Americans consider their neighbors, friends, or close relatives, whereas 66% consider their neighbors strangers or acquaintances. So two-thirds of Americans believe their neighbors are just strangers or acquaintances. And not only that, but when we do enter a conversation As Americans, if we are in a conversation with someone, 60% of that conversation is about us, not the other person. Online, on social media platforms, that conversation changes to it's 80% about us and not about the other person. So the place where we spend most of our time online and on social media, it's the most divisive it's ever been. The people closest to us geographically, our neighbors are unknown to us. And in the off chance we have a conversation with someone, 60% is about ourselves. And so what is the result? I think we can look around at the world and see the result. We live in a polarized culture, unable to empathize with any human being that has a different perspective on any topic. Anytime we have a conversation and anyone differs just in the slightest about anything, we can't empathize. We can't understand. We can't have a civil conversation. That makes it extremely difficult to share the gospel. That makes it extremely difficult to talk about Jesus Christ in today's culture. Researcher David Blankenhorn said this, without face-to-face encounters that include listening and the forging of relationships, polarizing caricatures spread and grow stronger. What he means is if we don't have deep, meaningful, face-to-face conversations with people, if anyone differs, it becomes a caricature. It becomes an exaggerated picture in our minds of what they are and what they believe. So today, my challenge to you is this. To the church and Christians everywhere, the world is not going to change without significant effort from us and thoughtful words spoken in love in deep conversation. Amen. We must recover the art of conversation. We must learn how to ask good questions. We must learn to listen intently to those who speak to us. And we must have meaningful responses when it's our turn to speak. And from the very beginning, in that first passage we read in Genesis, our adversary, the devil, actually is the master at asking good questions. And so I want to return to that story. And if you haven't seen this, there was actually a photograph taken in the Garden of Eden. You might not have seen it before. It's an incredible depiction. 
I know what you're thinking. You're wondering who took the picture. Well, I don't know. But if we look back at that verse again in Genesis 3.1, watch what the enemy does. It says, now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Now imagine you were Adam and Eve for a moment. You are living in a literal paradise, the Garden of Eden. And God literally walks and talks with you every day, provides for all you needs, given everything you could ever want. If the devil came out and said, God's a liar, I think Eve would have gotten defensive. She said, no, it's not. No, he's not. I believe Eve would have stood up for herself. But because the enemy asked a good question, he planted a seed of doubt. Rather than make an accusation against God first, Satan planted a seed by asking, did God really say? Maybe some of us deal with those questions even in our own minds. Did God really say he loves me? Did God really promise he would provide for me? Was God really there when I needed him? Did I really hear from God? And you see, the enemy is so cunning because he can ask that good question that plants that seed of doubt. And then, once he lowers Eve's defenses, then he goes into an accusation. In verse four, he says, no, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. First, a question. Second, the accusation. God knows something and he didn't tell you. You see the trickery of the enemy in that moment. But here's the good news. His tricks haven't changed since the beginning. We're still dealing with the same joker they did within the garden. And so if we can understand his tricks, we can defeat him. You see, he will make you question God, question yourself, question your coworker, question your neighbor. But we have been given the mind of Christ. You see, with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can transform our minds. It doesn't matter your education level, your background, how many books you've read. God can give you the wisdom in any conversation to say the words that reach the heart of your friend, family member, neighbor, or coworker. God can give you the wisdom. This is why Jesus tells his followers in that second verse I read, Matthew 10, 16, look, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd, be as cunning as serpents, but be as harmless as doves. You see, God is sending us out into culture and we need the wisdom on how to engage with it, the wisdom to ask good questions, the wisdom to engage in good conversations. When I thought of that idea of being sent out by Jesus, it's like we are ambassadors. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ, ambassadors for the gospel. I found the government page that talks about political ambassadors that the United States sends out to other countries. And watch this description. An ambassador represents a country, school, or organization in a positive manner, fostering good relationships with others. A good ambassador cares about bringing people, businesses, or countries together while remaining loyal to the place represented. It takes skills as a negotiator, a certain amount of expertise and integrity to be a good ambassador. I thought that was such a clear picture of what we are supposed to be doing as the church. We need to foster good relationships. We need to care about bringing people to the truth while remaining loyal to Jesus Christ. I did some research on specific ambassadors. This is U.S. Ambassador to Thailand, Christy A. Kenny. And she said this, I strongly believe that speaking foreign languages and understanding foreign cultures are essential to effective diplomacy. 
You see, an ambassador in real life needs to know the other culture so much that they could be fluent in that country's language. And that's what I believe today. We as the church need to be fluent in the language of culture so we can have good conversations, so we can ask good questions and point people to Jesus Christ. So how do we develop these skills to be a good ambassador? How do we do this? Well, I'm gonna try and get really practical. And so number one, if you're taking those notes, ask good questions. Ask good questions. It's amazing. You see this all the time on social media. Someone posts something, someone gets mad about it, and all of a sudden there's hundreds of comments with people just saying stuff. Just saying stuff to make themselves look right. Saying stuff to try and prove their point, and no one asking any questions of the other people. We try so strongly to produce facts and convince the other person that we're right that we don't care to hear what they have to say. We don't care to hear where they're coming from or their background or their beliefs or their convictions. Many times, if we're in an argument, even in person, we've stopped listening to the other person. We're just trying to come up with the next response that's a little better than theirs before they've taken a breath. And we stop listening. Asking good questions is not about being tricky or manipulative. Watch this. Asking questions forces people to wrestle with their own ideas. You see, the serpent in the garden asked a good question to trick Adam and Eve. That's not the goal. Asking good questions reveals someone's assumptions, the beliefs that they bring to the table that maybe they don't even realize they're bringing to the table. And asking good questions can pull that out of them so we can actually talk about the deep issues and what's going on. And why is it important to ask good questions? Because we as human beings are masters at self-deception. We are masters at lying to ourselves. Just think about the height that you put on your driver's license. Half of everybody just got convicted, I know. But watch this, there's a TED Talk from Courtney Warren and she said this, we lie to ourselves because we don't have enough psychological strength to admit the truth and deal with the consequences that will follow. That's a tough pill to swallow. But that's why we lie to ourselves. We don't have the strength to deal with the truth and deal with the consequences that follow. Oftentimes, someone's belief systems can contradict themselves. They might have beliefs that don't make sense altogether and they don't even know it. But if we ask good questions, we can pull that out. Asking good questions reveals a person's presuppositions about a given topic and helps them wrestle with their own belief. I would encourage you, stop trying to convince everyone of something and start asking them about their belief. Start asking good questions and say, why do you believe that? How do you explain this? What do you mean by that? Jesus Christ himself was a master at asking good questions. And it's funny because he was God. He already knew what people were thinking. But by asking questions, he gets them to wrestle with their own beliefs. In John 1.38, as the disciples begin to follow him, Jesus asked them this. Jesus turned, noticed them following him and asked them, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? I think that's such a good question. Maybe some of you might ask that to your family and friends or coworkers. What are you looking for in this life? What are you searching for? Or when Jesus took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, he says this, Mark chapter eight, verse 27, Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi and on the road, he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And his disciples answered him. Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others one of the prophets. But then Jesus digs deeper. 
But you, he asked them again, who do you say that I am? Then Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You see, it's funny, when he asked them the first question, they were saying, well, people think you're this and people think you're that, but he's like, no, I wanna know what you think. Who do you say that I am? And not only was Jesus a master at asking good questions, but he was great at giving good responses to bad questions. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 17 and 19, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, try to trip Jesus up by asking him about taxes. We can get so tripped up talking about politics. That's all I'm gonna say, don't worry. Everybody just started sweating. Watch this. The Pharisees asked Jesus, tell us therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And then watch this. But perceiving their malice, Jesus said, why are you testing me, hypocrites? Now, Jesus can say that. Don't say that to your friends. <laughs> don't, don't do that part. Why are you testing me, hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. So they brought him a denarius. Caesar's, they said to him. Then Jesus said, therefore, give back to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but give to God the things that are God's. You see, Jesus, he knew that they, wouldn't, they didn't care about taxes. They were just trying to trip him up. So Jesus said, you're going to come at me with taxes. I'm going to give you one deeper. He said, you can give that coin back to Caesar because his face is on it. But you need to give back to God what is God's. What is God's face on? His image is on you. Genesis 1.27 says, we are created in the image of God. So you can give back to Caesar what is his, but give to God what is God's, and that's your life. So not only do we have to ask good questions, but we should have good responses, even to bad questions. So ask good questions. And number two, know your audience. Know your audience. If you've ever taken a speech class in high school or college, this is one of the first rules of speech class. Know who you're talking to. Know the people you're addressing. Know the culture. Understand where they're coming from. Will your point connect to an audience? Will your joke land with a certain audience? How many of you have seen the show Downton Abbey? Have you seen the show Downton Abbey? That's a fun show. But I love the idea when Downton Abbey, the, it's a royal family, and if there's a guest about to come over for a meal, there's weeks of preparation that go into it. Weeks of preparation into the meal and to the dining, but also into understanding the guests. What do they like? What do they not like? Are there topics we should avoid? Or what's a point of connection that we can talk to those people with? What questions should we ask of the guests? And this is even true in the real life royal family. Queen Elizabeth II, who's still a queen, she hosts people at Buckingham Palace all the time. And there's tons of research done into the guests so she can have meaningful conversation with them. And there's also very scripted portions of the meal when you have dinner with the queen. I thought the story was hilarious. This is actually Formula One driver, Lewis Hamilton. And he didn't realize that the queen has rules where during the first course, she talks to the person on her right. And during the second course of the meal, she talks to the person on her left. And so the Formula One driver, Lewis Hamilton, sat down. He was to her left, and he started talking to her during the appetizers. And Queen Elizabeth said this, you speak that way first, I'll speak this way, and I'll come back to you. <laughs> that must be something to be corrected by the Queen Elizabeth herself. That's amazing. But as we interact with the people around us and share the gospel, we need to be aware of who we're speaking with. What is this person's background? Have they been hurt by a Christian? Have they been hurt in the church? What is their relationship with religion? There might be a minefield of topics that 
we need to avoid so they can at least be open to hearing the truth again. The Apostle Paul, who was radically converted on the road to Damascus, the Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, all those letters to Corinthians and Ephesians. He said this in 1 Corinthians 9, chapter, chapter 9, verses 19 and 20. Although I am a free man and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people for Christ. To the Jew, I become like a Jew to win Jews. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that I might by every possible means save some. And now I do all this because of the gospel so I may become a partner in its benefits." Paul traveled all over Asia Minor to spread the gospel, and he understood that wherever he went, he needed to understand the culture and the people to communicate the gospel effectively. The Apostle Paul went on four missionary journeys throughout Asia Minor. All these little arrows show everywhere the Apostle Paul went in his ministry. And this was like before planes and stuff. He had to take like boats and donkeys and stuff. But what's amazing is you start reading about where he went Ephesus, which is right here in Turkey, he spent two and a half years in the city of Ephesus getting to know those people so he could communicate to them. In Acts 19, verse 8, it says this, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, engaging in discussion, trying to persuade them about the things of the kingdom of God. And this went on for two years, two years, so that all the inhabitants of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the message about the Lord. The Apostle Paul spent two and a half years in this one city so he could understand the people and communicate the gospel effectively to them. This is a picture of the theater at Ephesus, and this is most likely where Paul would have stood and preached the gospel for two and a half years as the people of Ephesus listened to him speak. Paul understood the importance of spending time in a place, getting to know the people, and doing life with them. Because people need to know that you care before they care about what you say? Do you care enough to enter into other people's lives, to understand their struggles, to understand what they're going through? That's what God actually calls us to do, to love others as we love ourselves and love him. Do we care enough to know about the sicknesses they're dealing with or the struggles in their family or their work and stick with them through it all? You see, that's what we do here in life groups at the Crossing Church. We believe in that biblical community because we need to do life with other people. We need to be known and then to know other people. Life groups are where we invest in each other and get to know each other, spend time with each other. And so before I get to my final point, I'd like to share a testimony of one of these stories of a couple joining a life group. This is Ty and Chloe and how they found deep relationship in life groups. Check it out. Ty and I grew up in the same area. We had all the same friends, but our paths just kept like passing. We just never, never met, never never met our entire lives. He was a customer at my parents' Goodyear store, and my mom kept telling me to hang out with this kid. So we kind of like, I slid in the DMs. Totally. I, yeah. This slid is in like Facebook DMs. messaged, like, and surprise. that kind of started like us talking again. <laughs> but and I had then, a girlfriend at the time. He had a girlfriend. So yes. again, our paths just kept whatever. <laughs> so when I met Ty, he started coming to church at the crossing with us. Yeah, that was a perfect fit. Basically, Chloe asked me to tag along with her family while we were dating. And we got into this life group because um, Trent came to pick up either his car or, or Pastor Greg's car at the shop one day. And um, he literally asked me, he was like, do you want to go to dinner on Friday? 
And I said, well, I'm married, but let me ask my wife first. (laughs) Then I joined Sisterhood Bible Study, and I started going to these Bible studies, you know, every season. And everyone kept talking about life groups, and they're like, oh, I'm in this life group. And I'm like, well, like, aren't we doing that? right? Like, aren't we in a life Mm -hmm. group right now? But it's such a large group. So We go to life group um, from the very first day. It was like a deep conversation about what you go through, what we're going through. We're all going through the same times of life. Like Chloe's pregnant. They got little kids running around. We can see our future right there with these little ones running around. It was, it was like, this is where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to connect and like have church, but on a much smaller level that really, really brings out our faith. I don't feel like I have like a ton of people my own age that I like do life with. Yeah. I like love hanging out with my parents and their friends. And like, I just didn't feel like I had a group around me, especially like in our church that was my age and had, you know, was going through the same things as us. So it's just been really awesome. If you're thinking about joining a life group or you actually have like no idea what it is, I encourage you to join one, to ask about it, get involved. It will change your life and it will help you feel like you're not just in a relationship with you and God, but you have others around you who are helping you to build that relationship and they want to see you get closer to God and they want to see you get closer to the people in your community and the people who are around you at your church. I would, I would say to challenge yourself to be spiritual and to get to know someone because chances are they're probably going through what you're going through and to have that time together you know after work on like a Thursday that really means like the world to me to get to know these people because it's awesome it's awesome and I will encourage you to maybe you don't consider yourself a Christian yet still join a life group let people get to know you and support you and know what you're going through. And so you don't have to be a part of any special club to be a part of a life group. You can find biblical community or just friends even now. So ask good questions, know your audience. And my final point, be conversational, be conversational. That might not come naturally to some of you. It doesn't come naturally to me, honestly. But if we're gonna share the gospel of Jesus Christ it must be done in meaningful conversation. And many times the conversation won't start there with Jesus. We have to be invested in having those relationships and talk about people's lives and they hear about our lives and that we genuinely care about them maybe before we even get to Jesus. William Wilberforce, he was a British politician who was key in abolishing the slave trade. He actually kept a notebook with a list of ways to launch into conversation with someone. And so I'm gonna get super practical and give you some questions that you can use maybe to launch in a conversation with a friend or a coworker or maybe a neighbor. You can start simple. You can say, what was the best part of your week? Or ask an open question like, what's been on your mind lately? What were you like as a child? What's your best childhood memory? If money was no issue, what would you do? Or what's 80% of the stress you're dealing with right now? And if you have the open door to maybe go a little deeper, you can ask questions like, were you raised in a religious home? What was your relationship with spirituality as a child? Take the pressure off them now and talk about their childhood in that way. Have you ever had an experience in your life that made you think there is a God? And that's a powerful question. 
even some of the most ardent atheists and agnostics, if you ask them that question, they might say, you know, there was actually this one time that made me think this. And this last question, what objection needs to be moved aside to trust Jesus Christ with your life? What objection, what question, what issue has to move aside to trust Jesus Christ? If you have kids, I heard this tip. Anytime you have someone over the house or invite a guest to your home, ask each child of yours to ask two good questions to any house guest. Have them prepare two questions to ask the person coming over so they can start learning how to have conversation even at a young age. I would also encourage you to be multilingual. And I'm not talking about different languages. If you can, that's great. But I'm talking about be aware of other interests and cultures, especially if it's someone that you feel God is telling you to reach or speak to. Be engaged in a topic that you can speak with them about. I joke that I'm a fan of sports ball, which I'm not, I don't know anything about sports. But I remember a few years ago, I knew I was gonna have dinner with someone who was a big sports fan. And I wanted to have a meaningful conversation with this person. And so I went online and, and searched, what is sports ball? No, I didn't search that. I searched, what's going on in sports right now? What sports is this person into? Is there anything I can have a conversation about, a meaningful conversation? And if you put just a little effort, a lot of times we can find interest in a lot of different things. So be multilingual in the interests and topics you talk about. And also be response ready. Answer common questions with meaningful responses. Even if someone just says, hey, how you doing? Have a good response prepared. You say, you know, I'm good. The best part of my week was this. How about yours? And actually launch into a deeper conversation. Why? Why do all of this? Because people are worth it. People are worth it. And even more so, the gospel of Jesus Christ is worth it. And you don't have to stress, because I love this verse in Matthew 10, 20. He says, don't worry about how or what you should speak, for you will be given what to say at that hour, because you are not speaking, but the Spirit of the Father is speaking through you. So when you put forth that effort to engage in that meaningful conversation with someone, I believe the Holy Spirit will help give you the words to help guide that conversation. And maybe it's over time, maybe it's over years, but he will guide you in that relationship. There's a movie, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood with Tom Hanks. It's the story of Mr. Rogers and his, child, his show for children. It was an inspiring movie. That's the actual Mr. Rogers. But he wrote this song for his TV show. It's called, It's Good to Talk. And the lyrics go like this. People weren't born to be silent. Our tongues make wonderful sounds. Just try a few phrases for practice. You'll see there are very few bounds. It's good to talk. It's good to say the things we mean. It's good to talk of all we've seen and heard and felt for and wished and knelt for. We need to talk more. It's good to talk. And that was a song for children, but I think we as adults maybe need that too. It's time to have good, deep, meaningful conversations with people, not the kind of immediate response we see on social media and in comments, but actual deep, meaningful questions, meaningful conversation to actually know the people we're speaking with. And I wanna return back to one of the questions I spoke a moment ago. What objection needs to move aside for you to trust Jesus Christ with your life? There's so much historical evidence and basis. We know Jesus Christ walked this earth 2,000 years ago. 
He performed miracles. And when he was crucified on the cross, it was a payment for all the sins that would commit through all eternity. And then he proved he was God by raising from the dead. It's incredible. But he actually did that for you personally. And so I actually wanna talk to God for a moment. And so if you would bow your heads and close your eyes. I actually wanna give you just a few seconds. Maybe you've never spoken to God. Maybe you don't know what to say. I wanna give you something. Maybe you don't even believe or you're not sure if God exists right now. Maybe pray this. I don't know if I'm speaking to anyone, but if you're there, make yourself known. Go ahead and ask him that even right now. And then there are others of you that are saying, I'm ready to give my life to Christ. I'm ready now. And so we're gonna pray a very simple prayer. And it's the posture of your heart, not the words you say, but the posture of your heart that says, I'm giving my life to him even now. And so everyone across our campuses and online, we're all gonna pray this out loud together. But if that's you to giving your life to Christ today, you pray this too. Everyone says, dear Jesus, I give you my life. I trust you today. Forgive me, make me new, give me a new beginning and teach me to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this weekend's message. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash crossingchurch. You can watch all of our messages on demand and watch our live broadcasts. You can also download the Crossing Church app by searching for Crossing Church Tampa in your app store. We look forward to worshiping with you this weekend at all of our campuses.